And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament passage of Titus. The book of Titus. The book of Titus is found in the middle part of the New Testament, right in the T's section. So, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. And then if you really need help, it's right next to Philemon, if you could find that a little bit quicker. Right after that comes the book of Hebrews. And then the book of James, 1st Peter, 2nd Peter, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, the book of Jude, and finally the book of Revelation. So, we're looking in the book of Titus. And we're going to look at a very encouraging passage as we think about what the Lord Jesus Christ and His second coming, that Jesus Christ is coming again. That is the hope of every Christian, is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Without the hope of Jesus Christ coming then we don't have anything to cheer for. We don't have anything to look forward to. We have no hope, no hope indeed. And so if you wouldn't mind, look with me in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, and notice with me starting at verse number 11. Titus 2, and in verse number 11, the word of God says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the uh, of the great god and our savior jesus christ and if you're in the habit of marking things in your bible mark a phrase that we find in titus chapter number two titus chapter two and verse 13 the phrase that blessed hope that blessed hope And with the Lord's help, I want to preach about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the rapture, our blessed hope. The rapture, our blessed hope. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the privilege it is to come to your house today and open up the scriptures. And I'm praying that you would give hope and encouragement to all these good folks here today that you would be a blessing, that you would open up the scriptures, and that you would encourage us about your second coming, that you would help us to keep looking up towards that time, that you come back for us and all the things that's going to happen in that day. Lord, order my mind, order my thoughts, that you put them in order, that they be pleasing to you. In fact, the best I know how, I once again surrender myself to you and beg that you fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. And that you would get your own work accomplished through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible talks about here, in verse number 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to every man. We're thankful that God's grace has brought salvation. You say, what is salvation? Salvation is the idea that heaven's a perfect place, but none of us are perfect people. But instead, because we're not perfect, we don't deserve to go to that wonderful place called heaven. Unfortunately, because of that, there's only two places to go when we die. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. God never intended a single human to go to that awful place called hell. He created it to punish Satan and his demons. However, man goes there by default because we deserve to be separated from God. But that's why Jesus came the first time. When Jesus came the first time, he came to pay the price that you and I owed God. He came to pay that debt. He came to pay that punishment. He came to pay that separation. And he bore it upon our body, on his body, our sins. 
And He gave us that salvation by the grace of God. What is grace of God? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Basically, God is giving us the free gift of heaven, the free gift of forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice again what it said in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, notice this, hath appeared to all men. You know, the Lord is allowed to be able to study the Bible in English, that word all. In Hebrew, that has the idea of all. In Greek, it has all. And guess what? In all the languages, you know what the word all means? It means all. I know that's very theological. You know God has given salvation to all men. He's offered it to all men. That every single person has to make a choice whether to accept or reject. But God did not say, this group of people, guess what? You guys can have salvation, but you guys over here, no, 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 it's not even offered. God has offered it to all men. We have a whosoever will salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ has come because of God's grace, not because we deserve it, because of God loves us, and He's offered salvation to all men, that every single one of us can choose to accept that free gift. And God could pay that price. He's already paid the price. We just have to allow Him to pay that price for us. Notice verse number 2. So basically, we're talking about 11. That's talking about the past. In verse 12, talking about the present. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, notice this, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, notice this, in this present world. You know that while we're living on this world, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's an expectation of how you're supposed to live because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. How are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that means we're supposed to deny them. We're supposed to stay away from ungodliness. You don't need a definition of ungodliness. You see what it is in the world. You could say that is ungodly. Then stay away from it. Worldly lust, you know the things that that try to entice men and try to entice ladies. Stay away from it. That's that's pretty simple, isn't it? Isn't the Bible simple? Notice in teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly. That word soberly carries the idea of seriously. Have you ever met someone who doesn't take life seriously? They don't see the consequences. They just kind of do their own little thing and they don't see what's going to happen because of the uh, the consequences of their action. Well, the Bible says we need to take life seriously. We need to see things. We need to be sober. There should be a seriousness about how we live. Righteously, we should live right. You say, uh, what is righteous? Well, it means living right. So that's the opposite of not doing right. (laughs) Just do right. That's simple. You know what's right and what's wrong. Teaching us to live soberly and righteously. Notice this. And godly. Now what does godly carry the idea? It carries the idea of following after God. Choosing God. Do you know that you can live a moral life without living a godly life? You know our world is so godless and so amoral and immoral. That whenever they see a moral person. Sometimes they mistake them for a godly person. There are a lot of people inside of churches that are good moral people, but they are not godly people. To be godly, you have to choose to follow after God. 
choosing to follow after him, putting him first, realizing that it all begins with God, it all ends with God. God is the goal, to follow after him. That's how you live a godly life. Don't confuse the idea of living a moral life with a godly life. God expects us to live godly. He expects us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Meaning, he doesn't want you to wait to heaven to finally live right. He wants you to live right while you're in this present world. Then notice this. Looking for that blessed hope. This is what we should be doing today. Looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we have the past by salvation. We have this present world, how we're supposed to live today. And we're looking forward to the future that at any time, Jesus Christ is coming back. Now, we call this in theological terms, we call this the rapture. Now, the word rapture is not found anywhere in the Bible. The word rapture carries the idea of calling away, catching away. That phrase and that idea is found in the Bible, and we're going to show that here in a bit. But the word rapture is a word that we came up with to try to explain the event we're looking forward to, that Jesus Christ is coming at any time. There are no signs, there's no wonders, there's nothing that has to fall into place for Jesus Christ to come back. We're not waiting for an antichrist, we're not waiting for a beast, we're not waiting for a sign or numbers or anything. Jesus Christ can literally come back at any time. At any moment, Jesus Christ, even before I finish this message, Jesus Christ can come back. And that's one of our, that's our blessed hope that Jesus Christ is going to come back. Now, with that idea, why is the second coming of Jesus Christ, why is it our blessed hope? And with the Lord's help, I'd like to show you some things about the rapture and about this blessed hope. Answering the question, why is the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming, when Jesus Christ is coming back for us, why is the second coming of Jesus Christ, why is it our blessed hope? Well, turn with me, if you wouldn't mind, to the book of Revelation in chapter 1. And I want to show you, first of all, that the... The rapture is our blessed hope. The second coming of Jesus Christ is our second hope because it will be a day of rapture. It will be a day of rapture. Remember that word rapture carries the idea of calling away, catching away. Notice with me in the book of Revelation chapter number 1. Revelation in chapter number 1. And we see that the second coming of Jesus Christ is our blessed hope and that it's going to be a day of rapture. Notice with me Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of, of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Notice in verse number 7, we see this coming of the Lord, that he cometh in the clouds. Notice this, there's a comma, and every eye shall see him. The second coming of Jesus Christ has two phases. The second coming of Jesus Christ has two phases. The first phase, it's still the coming of Jesus Christ, the first phase is where Jesus Christ comes in the clouds. When he comes in the clouds, what's going to happen is that he is going to gather all of those who have accepted him as Savior. They're going, he's going to gather them together. He's going to call them away. He's going to rapture them up, catch them away. At the second phase of Jesus Christ's coming is when the rest of the world will see him. He's going to land at the Mount of Olives, according to prophecy. He's going to come down physically, bodily, and literally at the end of it. So the second 
coming of Jesus Christ comes into two phases. The first phase is when he comes in the clouds. The second phase is when he touches his feet on the earth. Now, we as Christians, we're looking forward to that day of rapture. We're looking forward when God calls all those who accepted Christ as his Savior. We're going to be called away. And when that happens, there's going to be all kinds of things that happen that day. But the first thing is that it's going to be a day of rapture. It's a day when we're going to be called away. Notice with me a second thing about this rapture, our blessed hope. It's going to be a day of resurrection, a day of resurrection. Notice with me, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to be a day of resurrection. We're looking forward to Jesus Christ coming, and we as Christians, we're looking forward to that first phase when Jesus Christ comes in the clouds and he's going to call all of us who are on earth. He's going to call us unto himself at that time. And we're looking forward to that day. And it can happen at any time. There's no signs, no wonders, nothing that has to be fulfilled for Jesus Christ to come back. He could come back at any time. And then we see it's going to be a day of resurrection, a day of resurrection. Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, starting at verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortality must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption... And this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought the past the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's going to be a day of resurrection. What does this mean, this idea of resurrection? This is a day we get to rise from the grave if we've died before or we... Notice this, verse 51. But I shall behold you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That word sleep is a nice Bible word meaning uh, death. That we're not all going to die some of us are going to be resurrected or going to be uh, raptured out while we're still alive. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to miss the pain of death? To miss the corridors of death? That when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to come and some people are still going to be alive. But the one thing that's going to be true of everyone, whether you've died or whether you're still alive when the rapture happens, we're all going to be changed. We're all going to be changed. We're going to get a brand new body, verse 52. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, scientists have actually tested and timed the twinkling of an eye. Can you imagine having to get your little timer and say, ready, set, go. They actually timed it. A twinkling of an eye is one one-thousandth of a second. That's pretty quick, isn't it? You know, when one one-thousandth of a second, you're not going to have time to say a prayer. There's some people that says, well, I'll just wait till the rapture happens. I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to live however I want. And as soon as people start rising up, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to pray then you're not going to have time to pray if you didn't accept Christ before the rapture you're going to miss that rapture you're going to miss out 
Because it's literally going to happen in one one thousandth of a second. Did you know that the airlines believe that the rapture is true? Or at least enough to take precautions. Do you know in most major airlines, it is illegal to have, it's against their policy to have two Christians fly a plane together? One of them has to be a non-Christian. The reason why is because if there's a rapture, guess what? A plane doesn't have any pilots. That's a practical thing, but that's actually airline policy for most airplanes. That at least they, they cannot have two professing Christians fly a plane together. That's safety procedure. Hey, even the world has taken precautions just in case. But literally, one one thousandth of a second, people can disappear. One one thousandth of a second, all of a sudden, people are gone. Their clothes left behind. It can happen that quickly. Notice this, verse 52. In a moment, in a twinkling an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, it's talking about this nasty, filthy flesh, must put on incorruption. And this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought past the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Do you know that for us, death, is actually a blessing. Think about it. Some of you are a little bit older than me, maybe just a little bit. You know, as you get older, you get more aches and pains. Your body is falling apart. You wake up in the morning and you make sounds. You get up from a chair and you make sounds. Uh, my physical therapist was laughing at me because when I move, all my bones pop. And she's like, what is that? Just snap, snap, crackle, pop. You already had your breakfast and you're just standing up. You know, Our body is falling apart. Can you imagine having this body and you living to 200 years with all these pains and aches and falling apart more and more and more? This body's awful. This body is getting older. Some of the ladies check out themselves and watch the wrinkles kind of form and they do everything they can to stretch them out. You know, the hair starts falling out, turning loose, turning gray. Your body hurts more and more. Some of you can already tell are good, better, more accurate weather predictors than the weather guy. Because you can tell when it's going to get cold. You can tell the cold front coming in. You can feel it all. Isn't it a blessing that God is not going to make us live in these bodies forever? He's going to give us brand new ones. This is corruptible flesh. He's going to give us a brand new body that will not feel pain, that will not grow old, that will not get sick, that will not die. Oh, what a blessing that is. That's why it says here in the end of verse 54, So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Aren't you glad that the grave can't hold you down? Aren't you glad that if you were to somehow die, that's not your permanent residence? But God is going to raise you up. Your body is going to get a brand, you're going to get a brand new body and that you don't have to stay dead and you can look at the grave and say, ha ha, you can't hold me down. You can look at death and say, listen here, there's some people that won't see death. Some of us are hoping for that, that we don't have to go through the corridors of the valley of the shadow of death. What a wonderful thing that we have hope 
Verse 56, the death of sting is, uh, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. That's saying that we're all sinners. We all deserve to die. But thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? We deserve to die. We deserve to go to an awful place called hell. We deserve to rot. But the wonderful thing, because Jesus died for us, we have victory because of what He has done. Not what I have done, but what He has done. And because of that, why is the rapture our blessed hope? Oh, it's going to be a day of rapture where we're called away. It's a day of resurrection. I get to live again. If I was to die, I get to live again. I get a brand new body. I don't have to stay in this nasty, filthy thing anymore. What a wonderful thing that is. Notice what else the Bible says about the rapture, our blessed hope. Why is it our blessed hope? Notice with me in the book of Romans, chapter number 8. The Bible says quite a bit about this day that we're looking forward to, the day of Christ. The day when Jesus Christ catches us away, calls us away. It's a day where He's coming back in the clouds and He's calling us to Himself. And it can happen at any moment. And it says it's a day of resurrection. It can happen literally in one one thousandth of a second. But when that happens, I get a brand new body that's not going to grow old, that's not going to fall apart. Notice this, Romans chapter 8, and starting in verse number 18. Romans 8 and verse 18. It says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Notice this, it's a day of redemption. Here it's talking about in verse 18 that, you know, we have suffering, we have pain and all this stuff. But when we get to heaven, it'll be worth it all. This pain and suffering is going to be nothing compared to when we get to heaven. And part of what makes this world an awful place is that inner man. Have you ever messed things up and made things worse? Have you ever opened your mouth and you shouldn't have? Have you ever thought something in your mind and it just kind of corrupted everything? Well, the wonderful thing is, it's going to be a day of redemption. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of sinning. I'm tired of failing my God. And one of the things I'm looking so forward to in the rapture is not only do I get a brand new body, but I get a brand new nature. You know, a when I get the brand new body, when the rapture happens, I'll no longer be able to sin against God ever again. What a wonderful thing that I won't have to sin against God. I won't have to fail Him day after day after day. I'm a pastor of a church and I fail God every day. Oh, and I wish I didn't. I feel like Paul, he says, the things that I wish I would, I do or don't. And the things I don't want to do, I do. 
I'm tired of failing God. I'm tired of hurting Him. I'm tired of disappointing Him. Oh, why is this day a blessed hope? It's a day where I get a brand new body and a brand new nature and I'll never fail God again. I'll no longer sin against my Savior again. Oh, to me, that's worth it all. Oh, I'm so thankful that, you know, all these failings and all this, and how horrible this world is, it's going to be nothing to when we get to heaven and we get to live for Him and live in the Millennium Kingdom and have a body that won't fail or sin against God ever again. Oh, that's why it's our blessed hope. Why is the rapture our blessed hope? It's a day of rapture when God calls us away. It's a day of resurrection when we get a brand new body. It's a day of redemption where I'll no longer be able to sin against God again. I'll no longer fail Him. We'll no longer have the world that's so messed up because of sin. Why is the rapture our blessed hope? Notice with me in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we see something else. Why is the rapture our blessed hope? It's a day of rapture. It's a day of resurrection. It's a day of redemption. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we also see it's a day of reunion. It's a day of reunion. Notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Notice verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And shall we ever be with the Lord? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And the book of First Thessalonians... It's one of the first books written in the New Testament. Paul had been preaching and he went up to, to uh, the Thessalonian church and he was telling them about the rapture and our blessed hope. And they wrote him a letter and they said, Mr. Paul, we have a question. You came and you preached about the rapture. And we had a question. What happens to our loved ones when the rapture comes? What happens when Jesus comes back? What happens to those who have passed on before, who died? Uh, what happens to them? And Paul says, that's a good question. He says in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Once again, that word sleep is a nice Bible word saying that they're dead, that they're passed on. I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. Have you ever been to a funeral where the people didn't trust in Christ and didn't know for sure that they're going to heaven and none of the other people had that hope? Have you ever been a funeral like that? There is no hope in that funeral. There's nothing you can do to comfort them. There's no promises you can say this, see them again, if they didn't accept Christ as their Savior. Let me tell you, those are the hardest funerals to preach when, when they don't have a testimony about them going to heaven. But the Bible says we don't have to sorrow for those that, as if we don't have any hope. We have the hope that we're going to see them again. Oh, that's a wonderful hope. That's our blessed hope that we can have a reunion. Notice again, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep in Jesus, that means those who also trusted in Christ and they died, will God bring with them. Oh, what a wonderful thing that if we have a funeral for a Christian, it's not a sad thing. I mean, we're going to miss them. But you know what? It's not so long forever 
It's, we'll see you again. They graduate to glory. That's, when they pass away, they get to be with for the Lord. They're more alive than they ever have been. D.L. Moody, who was a great uh, evangelist in the 1800s, known as Crazy Moody throughout Chicago, he once said that one day you're going to see in a newspaper uh, that D.L. Moody is dead. He said, don't you believe it? He says, at that time, I'll be alive, more alive than I've ever been before. Up there playing tag with the angels, kicking up gold dust, having fun up there. I mean, they'll be more alive. Anybody who's been to heaven will not want to come down to this earth. We may miss them on this earth, but they are in a better place. And the wonderful thing is that those, we're going to have a day of, uh, when that rapture comes, it's a day of reunion. We get to see our loved ones once again. Notice in verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That means those who are alive when the rapture comes, you can't stop those people from rising from the grave. Now I know it's going to happen in one one thousandth of a second, but you can't stack enough bricks on a coffin to keep that person from raising. You could not uh, bury them deep enough. You know what? You could even have them cremated. Guess what? God is still going to raise them. He's going to give them a brand new body. He doesn't need that old body. He's going to give them a brand new body. There's nothing anyone can do to stop someone from raising on that day. Notice this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I mean, he's coming in the clouds and he's going to shout. Guess what? The voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. There's that word caught up. That's where we get our word rapture from. Caught up together together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words you know what it's going to be a day of reunion and when someone whose loved one has passed and they had trusted Christ oh we could comfort them and say guess what you're going to see them again. If you've accepted Christ and they've accepted Christ, this isn't a sad day. We miss them here on earth. Oh, but we have a hope. We're going to have a reunion one day. What a great reunion day to catch up with those before, to see all those who have passed on and to catch up with them again. We have a blessed hope. This day of rapture, it's coming. It's a day of resurrection. It's a day of redemption. It's a day of reunion. Well, there's one more thing I'd like to show you from this Bible. Look with me in the book, uh, excuse me, in the book of Second Peter, chapter number three. The book of Second Peter, chapter three. Why is the rapture? Why is the second coming of Jesus Christ? Why is it our blessed hope? Man, it's the day that God is going to call us away. And it can happen at any moment. We're looking forward to Jesus Christ coming. It's going to be a day of resurrection where we get a brand new body. That even if we died, we're not going to stay dead. But He's going to give us a brand new body. He's going to give us an incorruptible body. A body that won't grow old. A body that, that won't deteriorate. A body that won't get sick. A body that won't die. A body that will have healed. Why is the rapture our blessed hope? It's a day of redemption. It's a day where I get a brand new body and a brand new spirit and I'll no longer be able to fail God anymore. I'll no longer be able to sin against Him. Why is the rapture our blessed hope? The second coming of Jesus Christ, our blessed hope. It's a day of reunion. It's a day we get to see our loved ones once again and spend time and we can comfort one another and we have a true hope. Why is the rapture the second coming of Jesus, our blessed hope. 
It's a day of rejoicing. It's a day of rejoicing. Notice with me, 2 Peter chapter number 3. Notice first of all in verse number 4. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. Ah, verse 3 for context's sake. Knowing this first, so this is important, that there should come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Do you know that there's people who scoff of the Bible? I know that may shock you, but there are people who scoff of the Bible. They say that this Bible's not true. It's a bunch of fairy tales. It's written by men. Let me tell you, they can scoff all they want. Why do they scoff? Why? The Bible answers that. He knows the hearts of men because walking after their own lust. You know, the only reason to reject the Bible is because they want to do something that's against the Bible. Makes sense, right? Do you know that there's no scientific reason to reject the Bible? The Bible's proven scientifically. There's no historical reason to reject the Bible. The Bible matches up with history. There's no archaeological reason to disbelieve the Bible. The Bible proves itself in archaeology all the time. There's no reason. There is no practical reason, no scientific reason, no legitimate reason to reject the Bible. The only reason why people reject the Bible is because they don't like the Bible telling them what to do. It interferes with their lifestyle. That's what the Bible says. That's the reason why they scoff at the Bible, they laugh at the Bible, they make fun of it, is because they don't want God telling them what to do. Notice as verse number 4, and saying, these are the scoffers, the scoffers are saying, where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So this is what the scoffers are saying. All right, Christians, you say you're a Christian and Jesus Christ went to heaven and He's coming back. You've waited 2,000 years. Where's the promise of His coming? He says He's not coming back. Get it through your heads. What you believe is not true. Have you ever heard someone say that? I have. People actually say that. They actually say, where's your Christ? You say he's coming back. Where is he at? Say the Bible's not true and they find something. You know that this is what we're still waiting for. 2,000 years is a long time to wait. But you know, God doesn't work on our timetable. I don't know if you've ever figured that out yet, but God doesn't work on our timetable. He's got his own plan. Notice, jump to verse number 9. So, In verse number 4, it says, where's the promise of His coming? Verse number 9, it answers the scoffers. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. What promise? The promise that He's coming back. As some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us word. Why isn't Jesus coming back? How come He just doesn't come back right now? Not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. Do you know why Jesus is tearing His coming? Because He's trying to get as many people to come to heaven as possible. He's waiting for more people to get saved, more people to accept Him as Savior. He's waiting for that last person to trust Christ before He comes back. Isn't that a wonderful God that He is patiently waiting to try to get as many people to go to heaven as possible? That's a great God. I know some of us are impatiently waiting. Come on, God, I'm tired of this world. I know you're probably tired of this world. God, hurry up, I'm tired of feeling pain. You ever wake up and just wish that God would just take you? Maybe it's not physical pain. Maybe it's a broken heart. God, I miss so-and-so. I miss him so much. Oh, maybe it's some type of thing that you're going through, some type of trial. Oh, God, please just take me out and I don't have to deal with this anymore. But God is a gracious God. And there's a reason why he hasn't come back yet. Because he's waiting for more people to get saved. You know what this means? We have a window of opportunity for us right now.
to be telling people about the Lord. We have a window of opportunity to help the Lord. He's waiting for people to get saved. Shouldn't we work and try to get people saved? Let them tell about telling others about the gospel? Because that's what Jesus is waiting for. More people to get saved. Oh, what a wonderful thing. You know, I made it a personal goal. I don't know if the Lord will allow me or not. But my personal goal is I want to be the person to lead that last person to the Lord. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing where you just show them from the Bible and you just right when you say, would you be willing to accept Christ as their Savior? And before they even say anything with their lips, they've already accepted it with their heart. And right then and there, God raptures us up. And people say, when you get up to, to heaven and you get up to the Millennium Kingdom, they say, what was you doing when the rapture came? I was there with the Bible open and they bowed their head. And woohoo! We took off like a rocket. Wouldn't that be a blessing? You know, that well, that's what God is waiting for. God is not slack uh, concerning His promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, us word, not willing that any shall perish, but also come to repentance. The only thing that is holding back Jesus' coming is not signs, not waiting for some guy to take office, not for some new technology, the only thing that is keeping God from coming back right now is that he still wants people to get saved. And it is out of his graciousness. It is out of his long suffering. It is out of his kindness that he hasn't come back yet because he wants people to get saved. Maybe perhaps there's someone in here that has never trusted Christ as your savior. Let me tell you that now is the accepted time. Now is the time. What would happen if you're sitting in a church service and the rapture happens and you're there all by yourself, wouldn't that be the worst feeling in the world? Now, I'm not trying to scare people to heaven, but I'm trying to say what reality is. There is nothing, nothing that is holding back Jesus' coming except his own long-suffering. And that's not going to be forever. He's waiting for people to get saved, but there's a time where he says, all right, that's enough. Everyone's coming to heaven. Every, or everyone who's... The rapture now occurs. And if you didn't accept Christ as your Savior, you're going to miss that rapture. That's a horrible thing. I believe there's some theological things that go after that. It is my personal belief from the study of God's Word that anyone who had the opportunity to hear the gospel before the rapture and did not accept it will not accept it after the rapture. I believe the Bible's clear on that. The book of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Wouldn't that be a horrible thing? If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, don't play games with God. Now is the accepted time. Now is the time to get that settled. As for you, Christian, the only thing that God is waiting for is more souls. He's a loving God. He wants as many people to come to heaven as possible. What are you doing on your part to tell people about the Lord? Are you aggressively going out there? Are you have a mind to go out there? Do you got tracks in your pocket or your purse? Do you ready to go? I mean, wouldn't it be a horrible thing to find someone that you saw every day not make it to heaven just because you never told them? That gas station attendant, they need to go to heaven. That grocery store clerk, they need to go to heaven. Your mor- the guy who owns the mortgage that you send the checks to every month, they need to go to heaven. That plumber who comes and helps you, they need to hear it. God is waiting to try to get as many people to go to heaven as possible. And he's left us here. Why doesn't God just, when we get saved, to get take off and just disappear? He's left us here to be a witness. It is our job to tell people 
how to get to heaven. That's how God has designed it to be. So what are you doing to help tell people about this wonderful day that's coming? This is a wonderful day. This is a day of hope. This is a day of rejoicing. This is a day where we get a brand new body that's not going to sin against God anymore. This is a day that all Christians, we look forward to. By the way, I resent anyone who tries to take this hope away from me. I resent the idea that people say that Jesus isn't coming back. You know, that's what we have to look forward to. That is our hope that we're trusting in. Now, it's not a wistful hope, kind of like making a wish into the wind. The word hope in the Bible means a confident expectation of someone or something sure to come. You know what we believe? That Jesus is going to keep his promise. That's why it's a day of rejoicing. It's a day where we say God kept his word. Is this your blessed hope? Is this your hope that you look forward to, that God is going to finally keep his word to you? And he's going to bring you to heaven like he said he was. He's going to give you a brand new body. He's going to fix everything that that we needed fixed at that day to be with him up in the Lord. This is our hope as Christians. This is our blessed hope. This is what we're putting everything into our faith and trust. You say, but you can't test it or prove it. No, it's faith. We, by faith, are believing that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. That's why it's our blessed hope. It's what we're putting our trust in, that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. That's why we could rejoice in that day. Every Christian is going to rejoice because God kept his word. So once again, are you 100% sure if you die today that your sins are forgiven? Are you sure if the rapture was to happen right now that you would be going with God, meeting him in the air with the clouds? If you are, who are you bringing with you? Who are you telling about the Lord?